0: I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. I am so excited to introduce my guest today. It was such a joy and privilege to interview him. Today, you get to hear an interview with Dr. Benjamin Perkis, who is the creator of a therapeutic process called the Aroma Freedom Technique. Dr. Perkis is a licensed psychologist who had a private practice for 20 years. A few years ago, when he decided to combine his love of essential oils with the principles of energy psychology, he created a brand new process called the Aroma Freedom Technique. This process was shown to be so effective that he left his practice and created an online certification program that to date has trained over 800 practitioners in 49 states and 23 countries. Dr. Perkis has been married for 19 years. He lives on seven acres in upstate New York with his wife, his 16-year-old daughter, and two cats. He has been an advocate for essential oils, specifically young living essential oils for emotional regulation since 2001. So hear me, whether or not you use essential oils, you will want to hear this interview. I was first introduced to Dr. Perkis' work when I was doing some research with students. I had not used essential oils much at that point, and I knew very little about their therapeutic impact. My friend Sue gave me his book, The Aroma Freedom Technique. After reading it, I decided to try adding oils to our interventions during therapy. We found significant differences in the outcomes of clients when we introduced oils to our sessions. His book was a catalyst for me to start my own journey, learning how essential oils work in our brains and our bodies to regulate our emotions. And they really regulate all our body systems. His book was also an inspiration for me to write my own book. Last year, I had the privilege of going through Dr. Perkis' certification program, and I became a certified aroma freedom practitioner. And for you therapists out there, this was a very serious venture. It was a 12-week program with weekly trainings and weekly mentoring groups, a significant amount of practice that's required, written tests. It was the works. It is serious and sciency and so effective. I now use this technique in my business and transitional coaching practice all the time. I have seen amazing things happen. It still surprises me. Dr. Perkis has a story of change that is so inspiring. I am really glad you get a chance to hear it. We also took some time in this interview to address some practical things that you can do through this crisis. Two things before we start. First, this is longer than most of my other episodes, but the information was so interesting and helpful, I couldn't cut anything. So take your time and listen, it's worth it. Second, Dr. Perkis refers to a therapeutic intervention called EMDR. I wanted to give you a little explanation of what EMDR is for those of you who don't know. So, EMDR, Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is a type of therapeutic intervention that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that comes from really hard life experiences or trauma. It uses bilateral stimulation with eye movements or tapping to help reprocess memories. Dr. Perkis used much of the EMDR protocol when developing his technique. It's so interesting to hear how it works in our brains. This is a great conversation. Let's listen in. So Dr. Perkis, welcome. I am so honored to have you here today and get to have a conversation with you. First of all, your book, I don't know if you know this, but your book was the first book I ever read on essential oils. And Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So not sure if you know my story, but your work really inspired me. And I ended up writing a book, my book, Essentially Better, Essential Oil for People with Feelings, because I read your book. So we started using oils at our house, too, and it kind of just snowballed from there. It went
1: from there. Yeah. yeah.
0: So that is really how... I got into essential oils is because somebody gave me your book.
1: Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So yeah. So my, my story goes like this. I was actually a philosopher by trade. My undergraduate was in philosophy, but I switched over to psychology kind of as a way to keep that inquiry going and learning about human nature in a way that was sustainable and I could have a, a practice doing it. Mm-hmm. But I was never really stuck in any one school of thought with psychology. I, I, you know all, all the training i got was as broad as i could possibly get it and i got my degree in 1997 got my license in 98 and i started working at this hospital and i remember about a week in to working at this hospital and i said to myself i need more trainings and because <laughs> i could tell that just talking to people it just it felt like it wasn't quite enough and that's actually when i found emdr and this was emdr was the first training kind of outside the box that i ever really had Yeah, so EMDR training, I got EMDR trained over 20 years ago, early on in my career, and I started using it. And sure enough, you know, it was doing a lot more than you know prior to EMDR. I was able to help people with the traumatic memories and and uh, you know. But since then, I went on to learn all the other things that EFT tapping, Uh neurofeedback system. I had for a while. I was bringing in basically any other technique that I would find, I would bring it into my practice and see how it would work. So I was always kind of a researcher at heart Mm -hmm. that way. And then in about 2001, my wife and I discovered essential oils. We went to a class on young living oils, started using them just for more just physical things for, you know, backache, neckache, shoulders, stomach, things like that. And so for many years, we kind of had this essential oil Mm -hmm. practice where we would teach people how to use the oils and you know kind of a business built up around us doing that we weren't really trying to have one but it kind of happened and and uh but then then it seemed like i was kind of living a dual life because i had my psychology practice by day which i loved and i felt like this was really my purpose was to be helping people you know discover themselves in this way and i had my oils business which i also loved and i didn't really want to get rid of either and I remember speaking with one of my mentors and I said to her, I explained the situation. I felt like I was torn, like I was riding two horses and I didn't, couldn't really toss one of them out and thought about it for a minute. And she said, well, you have to create a tool. If you create a tool, then others can replicate what you do. And that's really where kind of one of the seeds got planted for what would then become this book. And it was actually a number of years ago, I played around with the EMDR protocol and tried substituting essential oils for the eye movements or the bilateral tapping and uh-huh. I experienced, you know, just as you had told me earlier, uh, the same thing that the memories would dissolve, they'd break apart people. And it was fast and people weren't feeling exhausted afterwards and they felt rejuvenated and excited. So I kind of had this, I was kind of like a one trick pony. Like that was the one thing I knew I could do with oils was <laughs> dissolve traumatic memories, which was fantastic for big people. Big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. But then really, it was on a trip I I took to Singapore. I was teaching this protocol. Young Living had sent me over there. I was teaching it. And I felt something kind of brewing inside of me, like there was something else that was going to come through. And my question really was, okay, I know I can help the people with these big T traumas, but what about all the little T traumas? What about the hurts and the disappointments and the frustrations that people have in their lives and the negative outlook and thoughts that they get from that? What can I do to help that? And that's really where... Uh, and as I was on that trip, I remember I was reading a book called The Untethered Soul by mm-hmm. Michael Singer.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And this book was one of those books that you just kind of savor it. And you only want to read a couple pages at a time because you don't want it to end. That's kind of my relationship with that book at that time. And he was talking about what he called the inner roommate, which is the just that voice in your head that just never stops. Mm-hmm. And it's always making commentary on anything, anything that's happening. The voice has something to say about it. And he takes it in the direction of meditation and learning to kind of get behind the voice and become the witness of the voice and awareness of it. And that was kind of the direction that he goes with that kind of the classic uh, meditation route. And for some reason I took that, but I took it in a different direction. And I realized that we could use this negative voice and trace it back kind of with some of these EMDR, the pieces that EMDR pulls together, the thought, the feeling, the body sensation. I said, well, let's start with, this negative voice, and let's see how it connects to the feelings and how it connects to the body and then how it connects to memories. And I remember, so being on this trip, I was kind of putting some of these pieces together. And I came back from the trip and it was 2016, April. I remember it was April 19th, 2016. And I came back and I told my wife, it's time. I said, I'm going to write my book. So the Young Living Convention was June 19th. So I had two months from when I came home to get a book written and published and out. So I said, okay, I'm going to write my book in 30 days. So every day I went to the library and I would just jot down, putting together all these pieces that I had been playing with. And I created this technique and I created the steps and it came out as 12 steps. For some reason, it felt like it had to be 12. And I tried it on myself and my negative thoughts went away. And I tried it on my wife, same thing happened. I tried it on some clients that I was seeing, same thing happened. So I knew I was onto something. I knew I had discovered The kind of like like a combination lock when you have all the numbers are there, but if you don't know what order to put them in, the lock doesn't open. I felt like I had figured out what order to put these questions in. Like I hadn't created any of these questions. I never. I didn't create the concept of negative thoughts. I didn't create the concept of feelings or body sensations or anything like that. But I knew what order to ask the questions in. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I had I created this technique, but I was down to 15 days left of my deadline and I still hadn't really written anything. So I challenged myself to write my book in 15 days. And I took myself through the process, the 12 step process. And sure enough, there were negative thoughts. I said, you can't do that. That's too much pressure. And there were feelings went back to memories. A Memory came up. I was smelling the oils. Mm -hmm. And I remember just as clear as day, I heard this voice say 150 page book. That's just 10 pages a day for 15 days. How hard is that? And I came out of that session, and I just, I knew it was going to happen. After four or five days, I could see I was writing about this 12-step process. And sure enough, by day 15, the book was done. So that's kind of how it came through. And uh, But what's really interesting is what I discovered after that, which is just like when you're hiking, and you're hiking up the top of a hill, and you think it's the top of the mountain, then you get to that peak, and you realize, oops, you look down, there's a whole valley, and then a bigger peak up ahead.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That's, that's kind of like what it was when I wrote the book. I thought that I'd reached the end by writing this book. Okay, it's written. And well, we realized, well, we need a cover for it. And designing a cover is a whole art in itself that I was not trained in. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through that process of figuring that out. And each time I might get frustrated or I don't know what to do, I would just do the technique and I would set my goal of, I design the beautiful cover that expresses what we want to express or something like that. And we'd go through several processes and we would have it. And then we had to figure out how to edit the book. As it turned out, a good friend that was living next to us where we were living at the time, she said to us, oh, I used to be an editor. So she came over every day and we literally gave ourselves three days to edit this book because (laughs) it had to get it had to get to the printer so that it could be printed in time for the convention. And having a hard deadline, you know, as I'm sure many people discovered, is really important Mm -hmm. for getting things done. And we need that pressure, I think, to do it. And I think that's okay. So she would come over and we work on editing the book and going through every line and talking things through. And I remember on about day two, I told her, I said, I'm sorry, but my brain just shut down. I can't think. I don't know what to do. So I took a little walk, but I was smart enough to bring my oils with me. And as I'm walking, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's emotional. So I took myself through my process, the Aroma Freedom. And... As I was doing it, at one point, a memory popped up that I hadn't thought of in 30 years. And that memory was of a time when I was in high school, and I was set to run the one-mile race. And I just started sprinting. And I'd never run a one-mile race before. And after the first lap, I was ahead of everybody. And I thought, I'm going to win this race. I'm the greatest runner ever. And I wasn't that great of a runner, really. And after the second lap, I was still ahead. But then, eventually, my legs failed on me because you can't sprint for a mile. At least I couldn't. And so, I ended up losing the race. And I mean, at that time, I didn't think it was terribly traumatic, but as I'm doing this session, now, 30 years later, I'm doing this session, this memory pops in, I'm breathing the oils into it. I realize there's a negative voice that says, you're not strong enough to finish. Mm. And I realized that in that episode 30 years ago, my brain had created this negative thought really to protect me from ever experiencing that sense of failure again. And the negative thought that triggered by this feeling of something similar which is sprinting to finish the book so that's i learned a lot about how the subconscious works and how the subconscious stores these negative beliefs and then kind of pops them up right at the time when you're trying to reach your goal it's it's quite amazing and so this memory pops up i breathe the oils into it and then the negative thought dissolves and then everything resolves i start feeling better and my brain turns back on I go back upstairs and I say, okay, I'm ready to go. And we finished the editing.
0: That's amazing. I love that story. I heard your story about writing your book in two weeks, and I actually wrote my book in two weeks.
1: Fantastic.
0: I went to Alabama. Actually, <laughs> so okay. my husband, we live in we live in Oregon, and my husband had to go on a business trip, and so I went with him. I'm like, I'm gonna write my book, and I took everything, and I sat in a Best Western hotel room for two weeks, and I had eight hours a day, and I'm like, I can do this. I can write a ten page paper, right? And that was easy enough. I mean, I've written. Mm-hmm. It. I was like, I wrote a sure. dissertation. What the do heck, it. right? Yep. So, I. I sat down and I also used oils too lots of times uh-huh. and, you know, pushed through like that. And, and your story was very inspiring to me.
1: Oh, wonderful. I'm glad. I, I've actually had a lot of students who have gone on to write their books or gone on to, um, I had actually was told recently about someone who was a music composition major and he had to write this composition and he was stuck. He couldn't write it. So his mother took him through a room of freedom technique session and he released his block, his writer's block, and he ended up winning the competition. Oh,
0: that's so, amazing! I love that. I love those stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is what this is really one of the big uses we have for this process is that when creativity is blocked, it's because there's something within us that we don't even know what it is that is afraid of something bad that's going to happen, and yeah. we don't know how to approach that consciously. So that's why we pay so much attention with the aroma freedom to um, the subconscious.
0: Well, okay, so here's the thing that we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are not oil people. And also, I have a lot of therapists who listen to the big Mm -hmm. therapist community. So don't hold back because there's a bunch of, you know, therapists out there. So tell us how AFT works and aroma freedom technique for those of you who don't know, and how the oils work in your brain to create that shift.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So I'll tell you my original understanding of it, and then I'll tell you how the neuroscience explanation, which I learned only after writing the book. Okay. So my original understanding is that smell is one of our most primal senses. And even uh, it's the first one to develop in the womb. And uh, even bacteria and single cell organisms have a primitive Mm -hmm. version In those organisms, it's called like a chemical sensor. It's basically a sensor of, is this chemical safe for me or not? Is this food or is this poison? And that actually grew into what became the sense of smell. And Mm -hmm. the sense of smell is wired to the brain in such a way that it immediately triggers either the fight or flight response or the calming response, depending on what it is. So some examples are when you take food out of the refrigerator that's been there too long, you smell it and it's rotten you can't eat it there you get this immediate feeling of disgust which is a survival response it's basically your brain saying don't eat this this is poison for you Mm -hmm. or the rabbit that smells the fox and you know comes across the fox trail and immediately runs for the woods to survive doesn't have to think about it so it's designed to trigger our survival response but it's also designed to calm us so it does the opposite it also triggers our safety response this is where i say that Incense is used in religious rituals all over the world, whether it's a mosque or a temple or a Catholic church or whatever it is. They're mm-hmm. using incense. Why is that? It's because we need to be able to calm ourselves from the stress and strain of the outside world so that we can go way inside, go into that sacred space, you know, to receive that communion or that guidance that we're looking for. So so the ancient people knew this and you know, it's still carried on to this day. So So that's the first point is that the sense of smell has this immediate effect on our consciousness, more immediate even than than the visual sense. Um, Another piece is smell is connected with memory. Now, from a biological perspective, this is because for the same reason that the rabbit can remember what the smell of the fox is like so that it can escape next time. Um, So the sense of smell is tied with memory and in other you know, common sense ways that we all, we all have experienced. Like when you smell baking bread and you think of being in your grandmother's kitchen, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have smells that will take us back to childhood and uh, the research on that's really interesting. I'll just give you several little bits here. One is when they've studied memory recall using visual versus smell cues. So for instance, they might take the word apple and then have you tell uh, what memory comes to mind of apple and then you or you might hear the word apple, and they say, what memory comes to mind? And then you smell apple. And what they found is that on the whole, when people, when the cue is a smell trigger, a smell cue, the memories that are recalled are more emotionally charged, and they're younger than the memories that come up from a visual or auditory cue. So that just tells you that the sense of smell, it's tied to memory, and it's tied to emotion. So when you look biologically, you see well where is the sense of smell processed it's actually processed first at the amygdala mm-hmm. which is the same area which is that fight or flight kind of control panel in our brain so the same area of the brain that is that fight or flight alarm response is also our smell processor so isn't that interesting
0: fascinating
1: yeah so and then the hippocampus is right next to the amygdala and this mm-hmm. is where memories get formed so the very strong connection both with you know charged emotion as well as memory. So this is just dirty baked into our physiology that smell is gonna be the closest to that. So something like EMDR, which uses, my hats off to Francine Shapiro, she did an amazing job of synthesizing and understanding how all these pieces fit together of the memory complex. So uh, when you have a memory complex, which has four main components, it has the visual image of the memory. So what it is that happened, the event, and then there's the feeling, The bodily sensation and the thought, which is going to be a negative thought if it's a negatively charged memory, the positive thought if it's positively charged. So those we call the memory complex. And what EMDR does is it takes you pull all those together and then doing the eye movements, the bilateral stimulation in a way that is, I don't think still fully understood. It seems to be like a pattern interrupt. It kind of interrupts this, this complex, um, But EMDR can take some time, and people often feel like kind of they got hit with a mech truck, you know, because they had to really like process through it. And what people find with aroma freedom is you do the same thing, but you bring the certain smells in, you know, the very calming smells, which I can get to in a minute of what those are. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like the memory complex dissolves. So rather than it being broken apart bit by bit through this, you might call a higher cortical function. So the bilateral stimulation is kind of a higher cortical function pattern interrupt of the memory complex with the sense of smell. It's almost like it's coming from underneath. It's coming from those primal areas to dissolve it. The the layman's way that I used to say it was that we can only really feel one thing at a time. And so when you have this memory pulled up with the feeling and the body and everything, you feel this certain way. And then you bring the, the oil in you have to feel something different. You can't help it. This is the whole point of why it's irresistible. When you smell that rotten food, you have to feel disgusted. You can't help it. So same thing with this. If you smell something really calming, you have to calm down on some level. So what happens is the brain kind of gets this confusion because, well, wait a minute, I'm looking at this memory, but now I actually don't feel bad when I look at this memory. So your brain has to do a whole reboot and say, well, wait a minute. Well, I guess I guess that memory isn't happening anymore. I'm safe. I guess I don't have to be emotionally charge. So, sure. on a kind of la- on a layman's term, we say that we're replacing the feeling that the that the memory was generating with a new feeling, and that interrupts the pattern. Now, about a year after writing the book, and of course, I wrote the book. It took off within the essential oil community. You know, the people that they already get it. They understand oils. They love oils. So for sure. them there was no leap and they just wanted to know another way to use it. And they discovered how how amazing they felt using it. So it took off and I had a certification program I was certifying people all over the world in this process. And about a year after that, I get a call from a chiropractor who says to me, you know, what you're doing is memory reconsolidation. And I said, what's that? I had never heard the term. He said, well, there's a whole line of research going back to 2004 or so that is looking not just in humans, but in Crabs and rats and cats, and all these different species, that there are specific things that happen that actually allow the memories to reconsolidate. So, what that means is that when we first create a memory, there's something called memory consolidation. So, this is like, for instance, when you study for a test and then an hour later you review your notes, that's called consolidation. By repetition, your brain kind of rehearses and repeats until a memory is stable. The same sure. is true, you know, you see your aunt and then You know, a week later, you see her again, it kind of consolidates, you remember what she looks like. So consolidation is well understood. But reconsolidation is what happens when we have an emotionally charged memory. When we think of that memory, along with the feeling and emotion and bodily sensation with it, the neurons that are holding this memory together, actually, they disconnect briefly, and they become labile, they become open to refiguring themselves. And, and this is actually a, a good thing. And it's an everyday phenomenon so for instance i'll give an example if you uh let's say you meet someone and you're thinking his name is bob and then you meet him again and uh you say hi bob he says oh it's brian all right okay brian so what happened there so you had a memory that it was bob okay that memory wasn't actually accurate though so you meet him again he corrects you and so your brain has to be able to rewire if your brain could never rewire then you could never unlearn information that's not relevant anymore so your memory has to reconsolidate around the new information. So here's where it gets interesting in psychotherapy. And there's a brilliant researcher named Bruce Ecker and he has some colleagues and he's developed and kind of, he wrote a book on that explains memory consolidation in psychotherapy. But looking at the research, what they discovered was that the brain actually becomes open to rewriting those memories for a period of about five hours. So during this five hour window and it's stable across species, chemically something happens to the neurons when a memory is pulled up there's a five-hour window where it's looking for new information that is going to disprove or confirm the memory and so if like in the case of Bob oh no it's not Bob it's Brian the neurons reform under Brian okay now if you say Bob it says yeah Bob there's no new information there so the memory relocks in as Bob so Imagine now what happens in a memory of, let's say, a child has a memory of being abused. And so you're at that memory, and there's, and there's maybe the feeling of uh, fear, and there's all the fear hormones, and they're feeling it in their belly, and there's the picture that's the frightening picture, okay? So that memory, when you activate that memory, the neurons actually are become unlocked, and there's a five-hour window where if there's new information, then the nervous system will rewire in a new way. If there's no new information, then it just relax. This is why sometimes therapy, when it's done wrong, can make people worse. Because yeah. if you just start talking about trauma over and over and over, all that's doing is it's reconfirming the same stuff with the same outcome and the same pain. So you got to be careful with that, of just you know talking about negative things over and over without anything new happening. So, but the good news is that if you can provide some new insight, new information, so in traditional therapy what might happen is they're talking about the memory and you're able to kind of maybe access an adult self that could look back and say well you know you understand you're safe now or you can see what was happening or why it happened or it's not your fault like you can kind of work to rewire some of these things and this is where when therapy does work for these things it's because you're slowly reconsolidating that memory and creating new meaning. Well, but what we found with Aroma Freedom and why it works so fast and why therapists just can't believe how fast it works, it's because when you're at that memory and if it's emotionally charged and you're feeling the emotion, so the neurons are unlocked, the essential oil, the sense of smell, is the new information. It's the new information that is telling the person, this memory is actually okay. I can actually think of this memory, which, by the way, doesn't exist except in my brain. It does not look like it exists somewhere else. It exists in my brain. And so yeah. the oil provides this new information, which is basically information saying I'm safe, information saying I'm calm, information saying I'm aware, I'm okay, I'm present. So this is why so quickly what will happen is the memories just, it just dissolves because the brain is literally rewiring and saying, okay, so that memory actually feels okay now. So that means my thoughts are okay now. And then once the negative thoughts dissolve, then spontaneously, there's some new information that comes in. And this is what I like, and also a little different than EMDR. EMDR also has the concept of the positive cognition, but they tend to find that cognition by asking the person to choose a positive cognition. What's the thought that you want to think about yourself or about the world instead, which is okay. But what I like about this AFT process is that we don't assume what it's going to be. And we find that it just spontaneously emerges after the negative thought is gone. There's this new belief that comes in. It could be something simple as I got this, I'm safe, I can do this. Or it could be a more specific structured belief, like now I know now I have the answer to my solution. now I know what I'm gonna do to finish my book. Now I, you know, I know who I'm gonna call. So you may get this access to wisdom that just kind of pops in once you've created space for it by clearing it out. So that's kind of a long answer, but that's kind of the technical side of how and why this actually works. You know, people think that aromatherapy is just kind of this woo-woo, oh. Isn't that nice that it's calming? It's way deeper than that if you do it properly.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I have seen it work over and over again, honestly. I'm very fascinated about how using specifically essential oils rather than nice smelling cookies, right? Mm -hmm. I think that using essential oils, though, give something different, I think, because of the molecules in the oils as well, right? Like we have we have both that activating the, as like you would talk about in EMDR, like the there and then and the here and now, right? We're mm-hmm. activating both of those times, which is giving us the ability to reconsolidate the memory. And...
1: Yeah, well, let me explain a little bit about why we use essential oils instead of just any smell. Yeah, um, that'd be good. On the one hand, any smell would do something. So, whenever you're bringing new information in, your your brain is going to take that into account. The reason we use the oils is there several reasons. One, there is some research on several of the compounds in the oils. Like for instance, lavender oil is well known through, you know, for centuries as being a very calming oil and there's actually research on how it will affect the opioid receptors in the brain. So similar to something like a Xanax would so we know it has that calming effect apart from whatever smell it has. It also has a calming effect. So you kind of get this dual action when you use the oils. You get the smell of it, which is the part you're conscious of. But you also get the molecular action, which is happening more on a, on a molecule basis as opposed to smell. Frankincense has a compound in it, incensol acetate, that will actually trigger the ion channels in the brain. Mm-hmm. and vanilla oil which is in the stress away that we use yeah um, that has been studied for its effect on dopamine and serotonin in the brain so uh, what i did is i took three very common oils and i s- combined them and i said well let's use these in combination these are you know common oils that most people their are oils are going to have that in their kit and combine them together and that's where we get this kind of magical blend that i call the memory release blend so I'm not really an aromatherapist by training and so I rely on you know the trained aromatherapist like you know, Gary Young who created the blends that we use. Sure. He really masterfully combined some oils. For instance, there's an oil we use called inner child that, you know, people smell it even without any prompting and they smell it and they all of a sudden recall a childhood memory. It's and I can't explain how that works to me. That's that's beyond
0: it's beyond fascinating the scope
1: of what I can do, you know, except we just know that there's this deep connection. So the thing is, just a, a word on safety, is that uh, there are a lot of oils out there that they say that they're pure oils, but because of the labeling laws, they don't have to be pure. They could be synthetics. And with this process, you're putting oils in your palms and you're breathing the oils deeply, and it's going right up into your brain. And so uh, we don't want people breathing oils in that are synthetic or pesticides or they don't know where they came from. So that's why, when you know, in our standards, we do it. We use the Young Living Oils, you know, not because we're trying to just sell everyone Young Living Oils. It's more yeah. because we have a, a standard to uphold. And I know the process works using these oils. because That's how it was developed. If you don't use those oils, I, I don't know how it's going to work. So, so that's why we use those specific oils, both for the smell side and for the molecular action.
0: Great. Thank you very much for explaining that. That was very helpful. Okay, I want to come back to AFT in a little bit. But so far, this podcast has been about big life changes. And Mm -hmm. I imagine you've gone through some big life changes and career changes because of this. So um, certainly different than you would have expected, I suppose. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I had been a private practice psychologist for about 20 years, and I had just an office built on the front of my house, so I would see one client after the next that way, like like many psychologists. And when I created this technique, and it basically it took off, like I said, within the oils community because they already believed in this sort of thing, and, and they were open to it. Sure. But also it took off online, and it took off as a remote type of a treatment that I could do. So, for instance... I had a someone who hired me to do a Zoom call with a number of her team members. And so she got told to on my books, passed them around. They read the book. They hopped on the Zoom call. They all had the oils. I took them through the process, and they all had this phenomenal result. And then a few days later, I did it with a group in Singapore. They were in Singapore. I was in New York. Same thing, phenomenal result. So that's when I realized that this could be done remotely and by doing it in groups i could impact way more people multiples of people compared to one at a time so that's that's when i knew that this could help so many more people and this could truly be this duplication of myself beyond the consulting room so basically as the certification program took off and i realized well i didn't have to see clients in one particular location i shifted gears and this is you know i talked to my wife and daughter about it we had been wanting to travel and move for a while so when this came through we decided to, you know, pack up our bags and, and move out west. So we, uh, you know, hopped into U-Haul and started driving and went out west, lived in Utah, then out in California, and we're from upstate New York. But at that point, you know, so I had let go of my clients and, you know, I'd been accepting insurance and everything like that. I let go of all that. So this is kind of this big moment that I'm sure any of the therapists that are listening that think about doing something like that, you know, they want to kind of get out of that, one client at a time, you know, insurance-based thing and do something different, you know, there's that moment. And I know you asked me to speak about this, you know, the yeah, moment, when I, moment when I knew. Uh, and I was thinking about this it, when I was thinking about this call. And um, I remember the way it worked when we were driving out to Utah is my wife and daughter were in the van and they were a day ahead of me. And I was in the in the U-Haul driving myself. In the meantime, I had just set up this online business, basically, this certification and I was selling my books, and I was doing some online webinars and things like that. And I had I had it set up so that there was a little like help icon on the website if somebody wanted help, and it would go to my phone. So I'm driving along in Nebraska, and my phone pings. So I pull the U-Haul off and to see you know who's on the. I'm on the side of the road, and there's somebody online with me chatting with me, you know about how she's a therapist and she's so excited about certification and when's the next one going to be and how's this all going to happen and I was just in that (laughs) U-Haul you know talking (laughs) about just you know chatting you know chatting (laughs) about a technique that didn't even exist a few months ago and and someone asking how she could get trained from who knows where she was calling from and that's kind of like this moment when I realized that everything had changed and it was I was kind of playing on a different stage now and it was more of a and because of the internet, it left it to be a global stage. And that's true really for anyone who can find a way to take what they've learned and and translate it into something that could help people anywhere. But yeah, that was kind of a, a, a decisive moment for this me. This moment. Myself, hey, yeah. <laughs> Specific um, things time. Things are going to be yeah. different. Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. So I know that there has to have been really hard things in the change, too. What has been maybe the hardest thing? Have you thought of that?
1: Yeah. So... I mean I would say for me the journey really because it's such a different and it's still and it's an evolving landscape mm-hmm. you know the 4 years ago when I almost 4 years ago when this all started to now even technology has changed since sure. then and so for me it was really like finding the platform to land on finding the the websites the servers the ways of interacting the ways of doing business online you know I went through a period when I had I had one website where I was selling the books but that wasn't really good for doing my courses. So I had a different website for doing my courses. And I have two websites. And then probably one of the hardest parts of this journey was I ended up, you know, we looked around. We found this course management software that we thought could do everything. And we moved everything over there, you know, after a couple months and many thousands of dollars, we moved everything in there. And then I realized with, within a month or two, it wasn't going to meet our needs. And so then we backtracked and then we tried again uh, yeah. with another platform. And it was actually a year of frustration on this platform, because I didn't realize that if you're not a software developer, you shouldn't be on that platform. Mm. And, and there was, you know, so then there's customer service issues that came in, which I never had when I, I never had customer service issues when I was seeing one client at a time. No. But now when there's 1000s of people interacting with me, and where's my book? And where's this? And I can't log in, you know, all of these levels of, of problems that you know, I wasn't really prepared to handle. So I had to kind of learn, I had to, you know, take that fast track of, you know how to how to meet people's needs in a different way and how to problem solve, you know, in things that are really beyond my expertise, you know, if they want to ask me how to process emotions, I I'm your man for that. But right. if they want to ask me, you know, how do I do this other technical thing? So, I would say that, you know, for me the biggest challenge was really more, you know, finding the platforms that would meet my needs cuz I didn't know what my needs were in the beginning.
0: Sure. And did you have to bring people around you that you maybe didn't have to do before? To help Absolutely. with
1: that, yeah. Yep, and and that's been a process. You know, I brought some people. I brought some of my students in early on to help with administrating things, but then that wasn't really their life dream either. So you know, they would be helping me for a while, and then they realize what they really want to go do, and so then it falls back on me. And so I and I had different consultants come in, and so yeah. So there's definitely been some turnover of people coming in, and you know, finding that team. You know, and then there's people who you think are right for the team and they're not really. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say when you're running to build or when, you know, the universe is building something through you that's bigger than you, you know, knowing how to interact with and engage a team is, is super important.
0: Sure. It's quite a process. And I'm sure this is a whole John Maxwell thing, right? You're risking yeah. things and you fail and then you evaluate it and you change and then you re-enter. Right. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And the bigger, the bigger you go, the bigger, the bigger failures you're going to have and the bigger chance that you might step on someone, make it hurt or their expectations might not be met or, you know, there might be, I mean, unfortunately I haven't had big fails like lawsuits or anything like that, but, you know, but there've definitely been those periods where the uncomfortable feelings, but because, you know, different expectations and absolutely.
0: So you wrote a book And from then on, so much of life changed for you. Mm -hmm. You started a certification program. You kind of became a big deal in the essential oil world. And Mm -hmm. really, it's impacted so many people. I always want to ask people who've accomplished so much like that what is the accomplishment that you are most proud of? Really,
1: you know, it's about honoring what was coming up in me, it was about honoring this desire to have this new something come forward, even though I didn't know where it was going. You know, I'm just glad that I said yes to that because if I hadn't said yes to it, I'd be right back where I was, which wasn't terrible, but it was a much smaller place to be than where I am now. So, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but just that kind of saying yes.
0: does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Saying yes to what was what was coming up and then continuing to say yes because as I mentioned, the bigger success you have, the bigger problems you have. So each time I would face that new hurdle and realizing that I could turn to the same tools that got me there, which was this process to just un- you know, unlock anything within me that was resisting the solution. That's what I'm the most excited about having created. Is not just a specific process that you use once, but something that you can take with you and you use throughout your life to just keep you on the path and to keep um, evolving.
0: Yeah, and it's a journey that you're on and you keep you keep choosing to be on that journey. Yep. So what is something that you learned through this journey that you would not have learned any other way?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I guess the way to say it is I, re- I learned that the world is a big playground uh-huh. and it really responds to your goals and intentions. And that when you're, re- when you're ready to break free, when you're ready to try something new and you put it out to the world and then you clear out anything in you that's blocking it, then the world's going to respond. And when the world responds, that gives you kind of this this dance that you can do. And so- that's something that I learned and um, that's something that you know, my clients have learned. And, and even my, my daughter, who's 16 years old, she, uh, she used this process to manifest a boyfriend. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she has a, she spoke with me on stage last week and she shared that story. She had a in stitches.
0: Oh, I love that. I, I think I watched that on Facebook or something like that. That was fabulous. Oh. So speaking of your daughter, starting something like this has to impact relationships right your marriage your family friendships what did it do for yours
1: yeah I mean I would say at first it was all positive because this kind of being able to do this virtually it really opened up the opportunity for us to travel which we had wanted to do so we had all these adventures and you know we're a close family it's just my wife and I and our daughter and so we got to travel together and have these adventures, and um, and then what happened was about, yeah, I guess it was about a year into it or so. Uh, my wife really hadn't taken an interest in the business side of it in the beginning. It was kind of my baby. I created it. I was doing my certifications, and at one point she started to kind of ask some questions, and and because uh, we were starting to get big, and there were starting to be you know some more contentious things that are happening and bigger decisions. So she. She got more involved and she really kind of acts as a consultant for me, which is good and bad, as any married person will tell you. Of (laughs) course. You know, um, your spouse's opinion is, uh, you know, as even when they're right, or maybe especially when they're right, um, that can be a challenge because then it goes from, you know, it's hard to have a just a strictly business relationship about it because there's also In any relationship, there's a power relationship. And, you know, I used to be able to, I made all the decisions for this business and I basically did what I wanted. If I had an idea for a webinar, I could pop it up that day and start doing it. But the more involved she became, then, you know, I would bounce things off of her. Well, maybe she didn't like that idea or maybe we had to talk it through more. So it would kind of like slow down some of this kind of spontaneous, oh, I'm going to do this today, you know. And so you know, there would be tension sometimes with us because I might feel this urge to just go do something and she might feel hurt if I didn't run it by her, whereas in the beginning she hadn't felt that way. So, you know, we've had to navigate you know, the communication about decision making in the business. I would say that, you know, that's one of the challenges. And mm-hmm. I think for her also, you know, when I was a psychologist accepting insurance, you know, there was a, you know, a specific amount of money that would pretty much come in every week because you know, I kind of had the stable thing set up and when you're an entrepreneur, there tend to be peaks and valleys more, you know, Absolutely. there may be a big surge of interest and then maybe there's a dry spell. And so I think that was probably scary for her. You know, is this really going to support us and and um, and that sort of thing? So, you know, I think it brought up they brought up some of the uncertainties and that can bring up some tension. It just really forced us to maintain our communication. You know, fortunately, I was a couples therapist and I understood, <laughs> you know, well about communication. It's, um, it's yeah, still hard of, though, even it's though, still hard. right? Yep.
0: <laughs> even when yep. you're a therapist, and sometimes because you are, that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that can that can be hard. So that's those are challenging mm-hmm. things. Sure, I mean when you have any kind of change, absolutely, it just brings in a lot of a lot of challenge. Okay, so I want to go back to AFT a little bit. Okay, you started a certification training, and you decided to train people who were not counselors or therapists. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know you've received some negative feedback about that, but personally, I think it's beautiful. And I would love to hear your reasoning and goals behind your decision to train people who are not clinicians.
1: Yeah. So I'd say there's a couple of things that go into that, and basically I started with what I had been exposed to. Is there were two basic models I had seen. The EMDR was the model. With that model, it was only trained to therapists and professionals, and it was taught very much as a professional thing. And um, you know, that enabled them to talk about diagnoses and to have research related to PTSD or depression or anxiety. And then the other model that I was exposed to was EFT, Emotional mm-hmm. Freedom Technique. And I met Gary Craig years ago, and mm-hmm. And, you know, how he basically, he developed this, he simplified a system that Callahan had created and just put it out to the world and made it available to anyone. And so many people benefited from that. And I guess when I looked at it and I had that decision to make, and I realized I kind of fell more into his camp where Mm -hmm. I felt that this was something that, you know, I, I didn't want it to be just in the hands of the few. I wanted everyone to benefit from it. And from everything I had, and the first people that I had done the technique with and, you know, were training with them, they were not therapists. They were, you know, people of all stripes. I mean, some were professionals, but many weren't. And I was just, people were getting such astounding results and nobody was coming back and telling me that somebody was going into a psychotic break or anything like that. Like it just, it didn't seem to be that danger. And so when I thought about it and I looked at, well, part of what makes this so safe is the oils and the fact Mm -hmm. that the oils are calming, we're using calming oils that are calming the amygdala. So it kind of provides this safety valve and that people don't get into these hyper aroused states like you might if if you're not using oils. Mm -hmm. So combination of those things. So partially just kind of feeling like this should be something for everyone. And then also the sense of just everyone's experience with it was so safe and gentle that I I decided to to do that. And, you know, I, I don't, I still, I stand by that decision. I, I don't see problems. I mean, I, in our certification training, of course, we do talk about when to recognize, you know, if someone is, is over their head Mm -hmm. and, you know, when they need to refer to a therapist, I'm not anti-therapist or anti-therapy, you know, I, I know that there's really a time when people need that holding space to integrate, to um, understand what's going on. And so therapists use this process. They fold it right in with their practice and they might have a session of, of goal setting or a session of seeing where a person is and then gearing up in the next session. Maybe they'll do AFT and then kind of go back and forth or kind of just fold it in as needed. For people that aren't therapists or professionals, I teach them that each session can stand on its own, that, you know, you're starting with a goal. And you're not doing any diagnosis in AFT proper. You're not doing any diagnosis or anything like that. You're just asking a person, where do they want to get to in their life? And then you're clearing away those, those blocks that helps them get there. And you're always ending it on a positive note with that positive affirmation and and action steps. So I feel that the way I designed it as well is kind of like, it's kind of like a built-in completion to each session. So you're not leaving people undone.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. In my opinion, this whole thing is a coaching technique and so therapists can use this in their practice you know but it is essentially a life coaching or a transition coaching technique that is so powerful for anyone to use
1: yeah absolutely it really it really falls under the model of coaching more so than it does under therapy because mm-hmm. it's about it's about reaching goals it's about clearing where your blocks it's about taking action it's about accountability And insofar as we do go into the past, it's not just for the sake of talking about the past. It's only when something gets triggered. We go in and we clean it up and then we move forward again. So uh, yeah, coaching is really kind of the best way to understand what this really is. Mm -hmm.
0: So anyone can use and can be trained in this technique and it is a powerful tool. You're able to use it by yourself, for yourself, but I wanted to say that in my albeit limited experience, right? I mean, I went through your certification program last year, loved that experience. But in my limited experience, I've found it extremely more powerful when you have someone else guiding you. What do you think about that? I mean, am, am I wrong or
1: is this is this no, what other absolutely. people have found? I mean, no, no, no. I'll I'll, I'll even have someone guide me through it once in a while. Obviously, I know the technique backward and forward. Not, I don't know the technique. It's that, you know, when you have someone else guiding you, it allows you to just really drop in on the client side, drop into your feelings, drop into that unknown space where you kind of need to drop into the unknown before something new can come out. So I tell people that, you know, I want it to be understood as a self-care tool that you can use regularly, that, you know, after I created the technique, I was doing clearings on myself left and right, and I was clearing up stuff that I had even worked on before using other techniques. And it was just clearing out in a different way. Mm-hmm. But there, even with me, there were still times when I just needed someone to be that holding space that I could really drop in and get that result. So I believe the the most valuable is both, is that when you, especially in the beginning, you know, when you're just learning it, it's, it's hard sometimes to do it on yourself because you, uh, you have to have all the, you're looking at your script at the same time, you're trying to be the client. So right. in the beginning, you know, we do lots of sessions where you're, you're receiving uh, sessions, we encourage people to kind of find an AFT buddy to take them through it, or yeah. you know, go to a certified practitioner and, and have some sessions done. But at the same time, you know, there is so much you can do on your own that I want people to feel empowered that way as well.
0: I think that's great. Having a combination of those is fabulous. And I really appreciated that. In the certification program that you do, Mm -hmm. Um, I would encourage everybody to go do that. I talked about that a little bit in the uh, intro, how like that certification program was surprising to me. It is no joke. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's serious. I've been through certification programs as a therapist that were way less than that. It was, it's no joke. It's very, very well done.
1: Well, thank you. I I'll just mention that you know the school that I went to, I got my um, graduate degree from Duquesne University, which was existential phenomenological at the time, and there was so much emphasis placed on therapist personal growth that you know when we Absolutely. would come in with our transcripts of our sessions, and we did a lot more looking at our own issues than we did looking at the client's issues, and that's kind of I think where I kind of develop this idea. So when you go through certification, you are digging into your own stuff and Mm -hmm. having these clearings. And, um, and that's, I think what enables people to be so, so well able to help others.
0: Yeah. I think that's really true. I mean, I always tell therapists like you got to be smoking what you're selling. (laughs)
1: Like
0: you seriously have to be smoking what you're selling or you're going to be of no use to anyone. And so I love the ability to use this tool for yourself as well as with other people. Um, Okay. Let's get practical here. (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about the situation that we are all in right now in the world with the Corona scare and Uh all the changes we're experiencing. There is no limit to anxiety and fear and I imagine lots and lots of triggers being activated. So tell us real quick, how could AFT help with this?
1: Sure. There's a few different ways. So first of all, uh, one of the little AFT processes, in the beginning there were just two techniques, now there are five, and one of them is called the aroma reset. And it's really just literally a 60-second reset that you can do using the same principles, and it goes like this. So anyone you know listening to this can and follow along and basically what you do at any given moment you just think about a situation that feels frustrating or overwhelming so in this case thinking about the world situation or thinking about a specific aspect of it like how am I gonna pay my bills or am I gonna get this or is grandma gonna get this whatever mm-hmm. those things are you think about that and you name how you feel and this is so powerful I talk about that in certification we spend a lot of time on that and it's such a powerful skill really that everyone needs to develop. Naming how you feel. So you name how you feel, find the one word feeling. Sad, mm-hmm. afraid, anxious, terrified, hopeless, whatever it is. And then you identify where you feel that in your body, your head, your heart, your belly. And then identify what's the negative thought that goes with that. So I'll give an example. Let's say, you know, you just watched a newscast and they were describing how, you know, your lungs might fill up with fluid if you get this and you might choke to death. And so if you think about that and you feel terrified. So where do you feel it in your body? You might feel your shoulders kind of hunching up, or you might feel something in the pit of your stomach. Okay, and then what's the negative thought is, oh my God, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so you pull those things up and then you put your oils in your palm and you breathe the oils in to this, whatever it is you're picturing, whatever that mental image you got of whatever they were describing, that's triggering all this feelings. And if you do that for 15, 30 seconds, It's amazing what happens is that your shoulders start to relax, your belly starts to calm down, the negative thoughts starts to go away, even the image starts to dissolve and you can just come back to center. And then you can can take in that information from a more logical, rational place Mm -hmm. and then decide what to do about it. So I encourage everyone to do resets and this is a self-care tool that you can do on yourself or if you're too freaked out, have someone else have your spouse walk you through it. Okay, Mm -hmm. honey. So when you're picturing that, Name that feeling, and where do you feel it in your body? And what's the thought? And breathe the oil in, and, and I guarantee you're going to feel calmer. So that's the simplest technique that we have. Super helpful for people to do.
0: It's really helpful to do with your kiddos too.
1: Oh, kids love it, and kids, by the way, respond super fast to all of the Aroma Freedom techniques mm-hmm. because they're not carrying so much baggage. They can shift really, really quickly. So do it. Yeah, keep yourself clear. Keep your kids clear. Your spouse.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so helpful, so useful and practical. Thank you so much for for those tips. I know lots and lots of people will be doing that today. So before I ask you my last three questions that I ask everybody, I want to give you a chance to tell everybody about what you're doing and how they can connect with you.
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, connect through my website, which is just www.aromafreedom.com. And of course there you can get the book or I have a little collection of materials You can get started to learn this technique yourself try it on yourself family and friends two main things we have going on right now one is a uh, the non-certification class which is more just for lay people or for someone Not the intensity of certification, but really for self growth and development I have something called six weeks to self-love that's a class starting next week and that is Uh, And depending on when people listen to this, you might find the replays on the website, but that's really where each week we go into a different pillar of self-love, whether it's, whether it's self-esteem, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness. And each week we kind of dive into one of those and then we do an aroma freedom clearing. So you identify where in your life, there's something for you to work on and you clear that out. So these online classes are a great way, whether you watch them live or watch the replay, you can still take yourself through the process. It's a great way just to do that self-housekeeping and self-clearing you can do. And then the other is the certification program, and that's ongoing. That's something that we've expanded it and evolved it over the past few years. It's comprehensive now, and so there's information on the website about that as well. I have a little video that explains in much more detail of all the pieces of it. So those are the things that you're going to find on the website, the books, the current class we have, as well as certification.
0: Great. And um, social media. Are you on social media?
1: I have a, a group called the Aroma Freedom Academy, which you can ask to join. And it's a, I guess they call it a private Facebook group, but you just ask and I let you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I have a page as well. I have not done an Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. So Facebook is the only place I'm at at the moment on that.
0: Okay, perfect. So here's the last three questions a pivotal event that changed
1: you? Well, I thought about that when you, you told me you were going to ask that question. And so I, I thought about it and uh, I, the first thing that came to mind actually was my parents' divorce when I was young. That was one of these pivotal moments and I was about nine years old and uh, it was one of these situations that it just kind of changed everything. Uh, even though the divorce itself was not acrimonious, they were, you know, kind of these enlightened seventies people, <laughs> you know, going through a divorce and, But it really, you know, it it forced me to to move and, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was almost more traumatic than anything else was moving from the little small town that I lived in to somewhere else. And so everything that I had going there was was kind of disrupted. And, uh, you know, it kind of forced me to grow up, I think, maybe more quickly than I otherwise would have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, it also probably is what part of what prompted me to get into couples counseling when I was, um, once I had my degree, because I was really curious to see, because I knew how much it had impacted me of my parents splitting up. And I wanted to understand better how to help couples not do that. Sure. So, you know, for many years, that was kind of a driver for that. And, uh, you know, ultimately I've, you know, came to peace with everything and came to peace with my parents and everything like that. But uh, it was a very, a very big deal for me. And so, you know, anyone, you know, therapists see it all the time. And I'm sure, sadly, you know people go through those situations. And, you know, everyone knows it's a big deal. But, you know, even though kids are resilient, you just you never know what, how they took it, you never know what experiences they have kind of locked away that that you want to make sure you, you address. Yeah,
0: I mean, it can't help but being a pivotal event.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So thanks for sharing that. Um, okay, a person who changed you.
1: I'm going to go with my wife on that one. She kind of taught me about emotional energy. You know, I'm a kind of a scholarly type of a person and, you know, she's very emotional type of a person. And so uh, by seeing how emotion would wash through her kind of unblocked, I guess I would say, Uh it helped me understand this concept of the wave of emotion. And that when you ride the wave and the wave's complete, then it's done. And if somebody, you know, so, You know, learning how to kind of ride the wave of feeling, and you know, if if feeling isn't something to be resisted, it's something to be kind of like danced with, and that by riding it, you come out the other side, and you're not holding on to a residue. And so, you know, that relationship more than anything has really taught me so much about about communication, about love, and about just kind of the flow of energy.
0: Sounds like she's a great woman. She is. (laughs) Okay, a book that changed you.
1: Um, so that one I went with Untethered Soul you know because that was that's by Michael Singer and his follow-up book it actually was his first book before that but we read it afterwards which is The Surrender Experiment but they're both phenomenal books and The Untethered Soul it's like it came into my life at the right time to help me with this like this was like the capstone of 20 years of searching for what ended up becoming this technique this was like kind of the last piece and as I thought about this there were I used to have a different favorite book. You know, when I was a philosophy student, it was Immanuel Kant's *Prolegomena to Any Future Metaphysics*, which is—wow, uh, <laughs> that's
0: a big title.
1: <laughs> which is a big title, but for those of you who are philosophical, it was—it was he was the first person to really grasp how ultimately how the structure of our mind affects reality, and that's what we're talking about here. And wow. and that's what, whatever situation we're in, as hopeless as we think it may be to realize that it's hopeless because we think it's hopeless and that that's a thought that can be changed you know and that's kind of just a good reminder for us
0: well i'll put the link to both of those books in the show notes
1: okay great
0: thank you so much for joining us and for oh my my goodness like for all of the insight and wisdom and information i hope everybody goes to get your book it was a pivotal event in my life reading that book
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Well, my <laughs> my pleasure. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime.
0: Thanks. I'd love to. Thanks again.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.
0: What an honor it was for me to interview Dr. Perkis. There were so many things I learned. One of my favorites is the idea of memory reconsolidation. The idea that we can change the way we process our past. Our brains were created for us to change to gain different perspectives and to learn or to relearn when we get new information. How beautiful and hopeful is that? We don't have to keep letting the things that hold us back, keep us down. We can develop a new way of thinking about hard memories. We can clear out our negative thoughts and feelings and allow a positive perspective to emerge. I also loved his honesty and vulnerability and how he grew through challenges, and his great accomplishments. He has been willing to not just say yes to risk, but even through challenges, he continues to choose to say yes to doing something big, to impacting the world for good. What are you saying yes to? What do you need to continue to say yes to right now in your life, even though it would be easier to just go back to the way things were? How will the world be a better place for someone if you keep saying yes? Two notes. For you therapists and coaches out there who are interested in learning maybe how to use this in your own practice, please let me know. Pop me a quick email by going to my website, essentiallybetterlife.com, and I'll get in touch. And for those of you out there who are interested in experiencing an AFT session for yourself, maybe you're feeling a little stuck in some way, Maybe you need something to be cleared out so that you can move forward in your life. You will be amazed at how effective it is. I have a link in my show notes to my website. And so go in there and reach out and email me and I'll get back to you. Thanks again, Dr. Perkis, for joining me. Thank you all of you for joining us too today. Do something good for the world. Continue to say yes. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.